Chaos is an indicator that change is required. Self-control is strength. Right thought is mastery. Calmness is power. Peace be still. Patience is the calm acceptance that things can happen in a different order than the one you have in mind. Better to fight for something than live for nothing. Those who inspire lead. Daiman Jinman is a Haitian proverb that means beyond every mountain, there's another mountain. We're going to ask you this question all f***ing day long. Why are you here? The more powerful language we speak, the less power we leak. My name is Luke Kayam. We are a brotherhood of men committed to show up. This is the Fathers of the Future podcast. Show up! Don't quit! Do the work! Lead with love! Trust the process! Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast. I'm joined by my good friend and what I would call my guru. We'll find out if he, he does or does not like that. But I'm here with Jake Parent. My brother, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for welcoming me into your dojo, to your sound healing studio. The analytical definition of what people do here. And I'm going to do my best to frame this as a conversation between two men who believe that they are in the the healing world and helping others heal. And I know you and you know me. That's Mm -hmm. a pretty powerful and important statement as we get into this conversation, but this is a journey uh, about medicine Mm -hmm. and the medicine first being ourself, our true self through breath. Mm -hmm. And so let me backtrack here just to get people up to speed. Two and a half, three years ago along my journey, and again, analytical personal development world and, and spirituality and the practice of meditation and yoga and calm and really working on healing myself, not knowing it at that time, that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. And so I had my first holotropic breath session and it was really heavy. I I got high on my own supply and that opened doors to more. And so I went and got a Wim Hof certification, went through that experience and I run into this man that looks familiar with a giant beard and long hair and a big smile on the way to the bathroom. And so we started talking and you're like, yeah, Jake, Luke, Jake. Oh yeah. We knew each other from the old CrossFit world. And so we were there doing the ice thing and again, opening more doors of expression and and understanding of self. And a a little time went on and we started to connect and I reached out because Mm -hmm. you were telling me that you were doing what? How do you even explain and describe your introduction mm-hmm. into the, the field or what is it that you do? What we do is conscious connected breathing. And that is similar to holotropic breath work, that it's a circular breath pattern that creates a peak experience in people so that they can reprogram their subconscious mind to live their best life. I think largely what we're doing with breath work is allowing people to live a life of success that isn't a struggle. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be challenges. But it doesn't mean that every day you need to white knuckle your way through through every day that you're trying to get things done. And I think breath work allows people to have that in their life. Yeah, it, it was the starting point for me. So although we're going to talk about medicine mm-hmm. and plant medicine and, and again, the journey, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this first time or a constant listener, understand that my timeline to get to this place mm-hmm. of what we're going to talk about is a few years of practice. And again, doing it through breath first and foremost, understanding my own capabilities or my own resistance within my own body and 
practicing it a few times in depth. And can you just explain mm-hmm. how you get people into that state? Sure thing. So it's it, it really is all in the name, conscious connected breath work. That the majority of the time that we breathe, it's unconscious. We don't have to think about it. It just happens on its own. And the same thing happens in our life, that most of our life happens without us thinking about it. It just something that that rolls forward and we actually think about very little of it. So the first thing that we do with our breath work is we think about our breath. We focus on it and we notice it and we observe it and we watch it and then we change it and adjust it. So that's the first thing that we do in our breath work is watching and and controlling or guiding your breath. The next thing we do is we connect it, that the most of the time that we breathe, we inhale, we exhale, and then we pause. And that pause happens so naturally that most people don't even notice it's there until you point it out. And then they go, oh, there's a little pause in my breath. So what we do with our breath work is we connect the breaths when they inhale and then they exhale and then you immediately inhale with no pause. So they call it a circular pattern, wave breathing, that there's just no pause in your breath and one breath merges right into the next. And then the third thing we do with our breath work is that we set intentions. And our intentions are our desires for our life, our vision for our life, what success would look like for us, the life that we would like to lead tomorrow, the biggest kind of life that we would like to lead tomorrow that we're not leading today. And then we speak that into reality, that we have people say that out loud, what it is that they what it is that they desire and what they'd like to receive from breathwork. And those three things together are kind of the breathwork experience, the, the fundamentals of it. We had a lot of accoutrement on top of that to enhance the experience, but that's the core fundamental. Yeah, so that to me was phase one of really understanding what I was capable of and really what how I looked through my own mm-hmm. lens of life, right? My perspective really began mm-hmm. to shift once I understood my body more and the connection of my mind, my body, but still in this analytical space of, of having to have the fucking answers for everything and the definition of it. And what I realized over these last couple of years was that it was getting in my way. It was causing me to be uh, angry and upset. And so after a few you know, years of breath and really feeling cleansed or cleared, it was time for the next stage. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you see a big movement in plant medicine right now between the book and the documentary, How to Change Your Mind When, or excuse me, How to Change Your Mind, What the Psychedelics Teach Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcending mm-hmm. by Michael Pollan. And so I, I picked that up because the analytical mind wanted to understand, and I was ready for that next stage, different for everybody. So the next stage for me was working with my guide. Let me do a, a better job in calling you my guide right. uh, versus the guru. Okay. But you don't mind either one. I wouldn't say I'm ento- entirely comfortable with guru. I'm just a guy on the path with a drum. Hopefully I'm one step further ahead. So I'll, I'll call you my guide and my guru. How about okay. That? Sounds good. Yeah. But in, in guiding me, I said, hey, I want to get to the next step. And, and again, we'll get into those different stages mm-hmm. of, of consciousness through medicine. I, I cleared it, I checked it, that box, and it was like, all right, ayahuasca, I don't want to shit myself for a couple of days. I really don't want to go to the Amazon jungle. I don't know if I trust anybody out here. And again, trust is a big part of being able to express your best self and, and go places you've never gone before. Mm-hmm. And so we had a medicine session out at Lake Bartlett. And the first intention that we had set, because it was something that was heavy on my heart, was not being so angry at my son and really healing some of my own childhood wounds and being in a place that my training and my discipline and my conscious mind could no longer serve and no longer help heal those wounds. We had a session, a dose, if you will, of 
psilocybin. My first experience with that, never in high school and not for fun at a rave or a party. That was my first real intentional dose. Mm -hmm. And it, it was powerful. And I left there with a few pieces of my heart that I had felt healed, but still some of my own wounds existed. And so time goes by and we, we do a second session about a year later, maybe six months. Again, Lake Bartlett set and setting, so important outside seeing the sun go down, the moon come up, but going from a state of consciousness into a state, can we say unconsciousness? Mm -hmm. is, a, is there a hybrid place or space for that? I would say the hybrid place is a super consciousness, that it's a joint consciousness, but also your own subconscious, that you're going into the unseen aspects of your own mind. So in that, the second session, an intention to set was about my daughter. And again, I can look back on this now and say, all right, great. These were two parts of, of my life going through this stage of fatherhood with teenagers and things not being as cohesive or as in alignment as I had expected. And again, understanding them as little human beings who don't understand much at all, let alone the deep work or practice that it takes to heal wounds. And whether that's from this lifetime or a past lifetime, inheriting trauma that I had heavy on my heart months prior to our son being born. And in the course of these past 17 years, today my son is 17 years old, I've really had to heal old traumatic wounds. And again, trying to do it by the mm -hmm. book, try, trying to do it in what society might deem as normal was not working. And traditional psychology therapy would not work either. At least it hadn't for me. And so our second dose was very similar and I healed some old mm -hmm. wounds and, and went back to my family and stopped carrying some of those things. One of my things in the difference between, one of the differences between plant medicine and therapy is they both have their place. This is just my opinion and how it lands on me. Therapy is really good at giving you the strategies and tactics to be successful in life. That this is how you say this is inappropriate and I don't want to participate in this. A lot of us didn't get that language when we were kids, so we don't, we don't know how to say no and set that boundary in a firm but polite way. We don't have the words. So therapy can help you with that and it can give you the strategies, techniques. Here's the how-to method of doing this. It doesn't give you the capacity to do that that when you're triggered, when you're angry, when you're flying off the handle, it doesn't really give you that capacity to not fly off the handle. The medicine will give you the ability to not fly off the handle. It's not going to tell you what to do once you can approach it calmly, that you, both aspects of it are, are needed and helpful. So let's also pause there for a moment and talk about anger. And again, we'll come back, we'll circle back. This is definitely gonna be you know multiple rabbit holes as we jump in and out of. Anger is something you also dealt with prior to your journey in, into this world and in this teaching. Can you share with, with our listeners that backdrop? Yeah, I always joked that like I got dealt a bad hand of cards and then played them poorly. A fair amount of abuse growing up. Uh, certainly not the worst. Of, there are people who can tell better horror stories about their childhood than I can, but it was there was definitely some crap situations that I went through as a kid. And because of that had a super refined sense of justice, that things needed to be just, and if they weren't, by God, I was going to set it right. And mixing a little, mixing a little pride, mixing a little arrogance with that, and it was a terrible situation for everybody involved, including me. That I was really angry for a long time, and it was I used to fight professionally. And when I would walk into the gym full of thirty other professional fighters, the coach would go, "A lot of hate, a lot of hate." So when you walk into a room full of thirty people who fight professionally, and they go, "That guy's hateful," 
Like that's so that was what that's what initially drove me towards this is that I was trying to figure out how to deal with that anger because it was not going away. What drove you towards fighting? The anger. <laughs> that people who like to fight, if they don't have that anger in them, if they don't have that rage, they'll do maybe three or four fights and then they'll say, hey, that was fun. I don't need to fight anymore. Uh, but people that like just keep fighting, they've got something in them driving them. And it's usually not a happy home life. And did you know when the end of that rope was there? Uh, I knew when I couldn't fight anymore. And fortunately, like within three months of, I blew out my ACL when I was 36 and that was the end. Within three months, I found CrossFit and then was basically using CrossFit to take the edge off in my life. And then once I sold my CrossFit gyms, there was nothing taking the edge off anymore. And it was, it, I was just really volatile all the time and it wasn't like I've, i'm not like yelling at people in traffic i'm scheming on like how to burn somebody's house down <laughs> like i i was angry and i could tell it was holding me back professionally it was holding me back personally that i looked at the skills the traits the abilities that i had in life and and how i was performing and there was just a huge gap there between like how i'm showing up and what i think i'm capable of and i'm trying to figure out what the problem is and it's i think it's this anger thing I had to step into that and get that dealt with, and it was healing hurts. Even the healing part of it was fairly... Tra trauma is an emotional experience that you're unequipped to deal with when it happens. And the only way that you can heal from that is that you, one, need to get the tools so that you can deal with it, and then you have to go back and deal with it. That there are no free rides, there's no workarounds, there's no shortcuts, there's direct routes, and it can be done quickly. But like anything else, the shorter the duration, the higher the intensity. And it's like, how much intensity can you take to heal this? And as it turned out, I could take a fair amount, which I don't recommend to other people. Yeah, so I, I know there's no finish line in the journey of expansion, growth, consciousness, whatever we want to call it, all, all the, the buzzwords and terms, but fully being awake and true to yourself. I think that's a good way that I can describe it for me is like understanding that mm -hmm. if I'm triggered about something, if I'm short with my kids, if I get pissed off, if I lose my cool, which I tend to still do, I'm not cured of anything, but I'm so much more aware of it that it doesn't serve me that anger, that rage, the rage fucking tattoo that I have on my arm from when I was 20, that it, it doesn't serve this next stage. It doesn't serve what is the rest of my life, however long that is. Right. right? And, and so. I'm going to, if I could, I'll tell yeah. a story there right now that people, <clears throat> you know, when you talk about the Buddha uh, and that he became enlightened and that he's this great guru, on the road to enlightenment, the last temptation that Buddha had was from Mara, is what they call it in their text. And Mara is anger, jealousy, lust, the big three things that Jesus was tempted by as well. And that's Mara. And he faced that and then he became enlightened under the Bodhi tree. But, and people think, oh, that was it. He was done. But if you read further on into Buddha's stories, there's times he's meditating in the cave and Mara comes to visit him. And everybody always thinks it's this, oh, it's this nice Mara stopping by to say hello. No, the Buddha's angry. The Buddha's feeling lust. The Buddha's feeling jealousy that he has to sit there with his own anger and discontent and still be the Buddha. So even for him, it didn't go away. It wasn't like, and it's over. You still have to deal with all of that. Hopefully you're just dealing with it from a higher level.
healing pieces of the heart. That's what I wrote down and really understanding how you, how we ha- can help heal open wounds. Right. And always coming back to the breath. I think that's a common theme in everything that we do, especially for being present. Number one, again, tool that we have available to us constantly is our, our conscious breath. And so again, I, I studied it. I practiced it, right? I read Breath by James Nestor. I started doing nasal breathing, right? I started doing all the tactics, like you said, but it didn't heal any of the deep wounds. A little bit of time and space went by and things were better, but in conjunction between those two sessions, a couple years into my journey, I started doing some therapy and, and have been for about a year. And in conjunction with the discipline and understanding, but again, mm-hmm. This last time I came to you, which is roughly about five, six weeks ago, in my journey of healing, I have been facing some new wounds or at least reopen some old wounds. Some of the listeners know we have had three missions to Maui to help with the fire destruction and near and dear to my heart, lots of friends I know who have lost everything. And the first trip and the first experience was traumatic. And it wasn't just traumatic because of what I saw and the devastation and seeing people absolutely broken. It was opening reminders from my own childhood that this land that I, before 15 years in here in Scottsdale, that was my previous zip code, 96761, Lahaina Town. And so I was broken to where, and again, we were running and gunning. We were 18 to 20 hour days every day for seven to 10 days on top of the responsibility of fundraising and helping. And and again, just a lot of trauma in the moment. And again, not having the energy or time to slow down, to pause, to breathe, to do anything. And so right when I came back, I said, all right, I want to come see you. And the next protocol for me, knowing the state that I was in, knowing that I was going back to Maui between one and two, I had my heart felt, it felt broken. I felt like I had multiple small heart attacks for about two weeks. And I came to you and I said, all right, I I think I'm ready. The toad, 5-MeO-DMT. And so this next part of this conversation is to unpack what that is, where it sits. In in my progression, to me, it's the, it it was the end. When I said, I'm finally ready to do that. I've gone through psilocybin, uh, at least again, in small Mm -hmm. dosages. I've gone through the breath work. I've gone through the trauma healing. I've done the assignments, but there's some place that I know I need to go right now. I need to see some truths that I can't describe to myself or others. I need to go down the rabbit hole and I need to heal some things before I go back because right now I'm too affected. I'm too short. Everything that I had practiced to eliminate is now back. Rage, anger, discontent. I wouldn't go as far as saying hate, but I would say that I was angry and and still am, but came to you for that session, knowing nothing about this medicine, except for what I've heard from people. And so can you first explain and describe what the medicine is and then what it does? Sure. So 5-MeO-DMT, 5-methyloxy-DMT, there are two forms of DMT. One is NN-DMT, November DMT. That's very colorful. It's like a circus ride. It's really enjoyable. It's a lot of fun. It's super visuals. Anytime you hear people talking about the machine elves or things like that, that is NN-DMT. It's a good time. Then there is 5-MeO-DMT. It is generally not a good time. 
if, if you want the ego death, you are absolutely positively going to get the ego death from it. We harvest it from toads that live around here. So we do the organic version of it, which is called buffo, because the toads are called bofo alvarius toads. That's their scientific name. So bufo is the organic form of 5-MeO-DMT. There's a synthetic version, but it's the active ingredient. And it is a it is a psychedelic. It's also a disassociative. It's generally non-visual. It's very sensory. It's very emotional. It's very somatic. You can have a lot of experiences. But mostly what you're going to have is a ego death, which a lot of people think if you've not had an ego death, it's very easy to make that a rational thing. Go, okay, it's like an ego death. No, you feel like you're dying. It is majority of time people have it, they think they've been killed, that mm. they are physically worried that, oh, I screwed up. I'm actually dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Check. That, <laughs> yeah. Check. And that is the most common experience. They're like, I'm dying. It's You're physically safe. Uh, might be a little mentally and emotionally exposed, but you're physically safe. And so not obviously understanding me and my story and background, our relationship goes back a decade plus with tribal CrossFit and CrossFit Scottsdale. And of course, going through Wim Hof and reintroducing ourselves to each other in 2020. When a lot of people weren't leaving the house, we were getting in ice baths on a Sunday and that that was an unintentional meeting, but it's turned into some absolute amazing work for not only me, but for the people that, that I get a chance to lead and ultimately my family. I hear you go back and forth so easily versed between the analytical mind and, and the subconscious. I see you able to not only describe it and explain it, for those who do use that part of their mind, like I, I try to do mm-hmm. most days. And then you have this other element in this area. And so you, you're very smart for those who don't know, right? You're gonna, you can look up everything about Jake Parent. You can come meet him. You can train with him. You can work with him like I did. And they'll know right away your intelligence level. And so you're able to do both which is not only rare, but it helps someone like me who's trying to mathematically figure out what number is purple. Right. Thank you for (laughs) the (laughs) pre-show. Figure that out. But also know that there is another reality that exists and and in the right dosage, right? Under the right set and setting, you can go through these vision quests, as I like to call. So we're going to talk about that part. Okay. The, The session itself lasted me roughly 30, 35 minutes. From what I felt, I was a little more dramatic than what the normal session would be. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I have, a lot I of I have it. seen some shit. Yeah. Okay, good. You, you were like, and I don't mean to downplay your experience at all, because it is the most intense experience that you're ever going to have. There is nothing that is more intense than this. And it feels super dramatic on the inside. I would appreciate downplaying it, because I literally felt like Neo. Mm-hmm. When it, yeah. uh, it was, I was taking the blue pill. Yeah. And again, having been able to process my life clearly, you know, past and present, knowing what I was coming in for, signing up for, there was a few things that I remember saying. And again, it, it, if you're listening to this, I'm being vulnerable, I'm open, I'm being transparent. And the, the intention is that you have some type of pathway that is going to lead you to the promised land, to freedom, to not carry things that maybe you're not even conscious of or aware that you're carrying through breath first, through possibility of plant medicine next. But everybody's journey is different. I'm not a doctor. Jake's not a doctor. However, 
I played one in the third grade. <laughs> you need to do your own research. And we're not saying to do or try anything. These are our own experiences. I did a session and I came out of it a little freaked out, a little paranoid, but clear as to what, and I'm hard pressed to say my purpose is, it reinforced my purpose on this planet from what I understand. Now, before I explain what I believe that is, I've heard you say this a few times in our course of our work together about purpose, right? Can you share sure. how, how you teach that? Sure. So there's a lot of times people are asking about what is the meaning of life or what is the meaning of their life uh, versus purpose. So when we have meaning is inherent in something that like when we use words, the meaning of a word is inherent in the word, that the meaning in the word can't be separated. There is no meaning to life. It's not inherent in life. You don't, you're not here on assignment. It's not giving to you. It's not assigned to you. You don't have anything that is that you have to do. Purpose is different. When you use a word in a sentence, that word has a purpose in that sentence that it needs to fulfill. And that you, with your gifts, with your skills, with your abilities, the unique stack of things that you offer to the world, there's a purpose to that. And there is part of that is self-determined. And then, then there's part of that is given to you and that you sense from within. But you have a multitude of options of how you would like to express that purpose. The other part of that purpose is that everyone needs to have something in their life that is bigger than they are. If you're the biggest thing in your life, some of the most miserable people I see in life, they are the center of the universe and they're completely and totally miserable. There's nothing that's going to cure that misery for them. That until you attach yourself to something bigger, whether it's religion, a cause, a mission, whatever it is that you're trying to do in life that you feel is your purpose, and there's a couple of different exercises you can go through to find your purpose, that will bring you fulfillment, that'll bring you happiness, that'll bring you that peace that you're looking for in your life, that everything you're doing here is worthwhile and it's worth the effort and the suffering. I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I did learn the meaning and purpose of mine today. I wrote that okay. driving home from my session and a few of the other notes that I put down when I was in my freak stage of the session. I know you and you know me, which is what I repeated to Kim a few times, your counterpart in this movement. And to me, that was important to knowing someone and building a relationship that again, was founded on exercise, on movement, on training, on CrossFit, that progressed into ice and breath that then eventually became the medicine, I felt that I had made the right decision until that moment. <laughs> Again, it's been about seven, eight weeks here, and I've tried to put my analytical brain in front of where I went, but where I ultimately went on that third dose was everything. You talk about ego dying. For me, it, it wasn't necessarily the death of the ego. It was, it was my death. And if that is the definition of, of the ego, I get it. But what it came to was the end of it all. And we're staring at this photo of Kim, which I just found out was painted of her in Mexico. And I, I remember dissolving into this, into that heart. And so I have a heart similar to that on my chest from a friend of mine, Mike Cazares, who passed away, who I lived in Lahaina town with. And I had this 
non-vertical, non-linear melting pot of the beginning until this moment of my death. And everything had the ocean, Maui, Lahaina, Hawaii, my lineage, my grandmother, my mom, my childhood, my kids. And it literally dissolved and melted into that painting, that photo. It dissolved. And I remember you said relax a couple of times because even though I was intentional in going to another dimension, I tried to fight it. And because I fought it, I was stuck in this middle ground where, you know, it was uncomfortable. But then realizing later that I didn't die, that it's the Scrooge metaphor, right? He's so fucking happy the next day. Right. He's reminded of his terrible past and what could be his potential worst future. And he wakes up and realizes all he has is right now. And to me, that was the greatest gift of that session was to go home. Cause I, I, I do remember this and you can ad lib at all in this, please. Cause you know, I was, I was viewing it from a third party. <laughs> right. I wasn't in it and I wasn't it, but I, I was, I wanted to go home to my kids and I felt that's why I wasn't ready or prepared to die was that I needed to go finish that job. I needed to go home. And that's when I fought it and came in and out of it. But having the intensity of, of the reality in the conscious of Maui and then deliberately and intentionally coming here with my conscious mind and then going into that place and looking back on it now, it is a transformative moment in, in my life. And again, I, I've been the guy who said, look, don't start with plant medicine. Stop. Don't just think that you've been in therapy for nine years since you were a kid. And now you went and you did one dose that you're cured of anything. You got to build this into your training, into your practice. It took me a few days, but going back to Maui the second time, there, mm -hmm. there was less weight on me. There was less feeling that I had to save Maui. And that was on my conscious state for days, if not weeks, that I couldn't save these people, that I couldn't save the ocean, that I couldn't save the whales. And it, that, that negative dark energy, and I have to say it here, you helped heal open wounds and you were able to help me shine a light on a darkness that was literally taking over my soul. And in the process of that, I realized not only the bonus of what my true life purpose is, but that I was exactly where I needed to be. That these things that have happened to me in my journey, in my experience, this linear timeline of 44 and a half years, which is all analytical, it's mm -hmm. all mathematical. Right. And the only fucking reason I, I, again, I'm going down this right now is discipline is the most analytical mm -hmm. thing in my life. And the discipline makes me stay in that mathematical mindset. You ready for this? Oh, fuck. <laughs> discipline is an emotion. You feel discipline. You don't think it. Yeah. That's all. That's all I had for that one for you. So just go ahead and let your analytical mind wrestle with the emotions of discipline. Can you be disciplined when you're surfing? No. Life surfing, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually surfing this weekend, so now it's really going to hit. A lot of things back to the water. Go ahead and be disciplined out on that board and see how it works it, for you. Uh, clear. There's the discipline word, too. Discipline is an emotion. Discipline is an emotion. And here's another great thing that I love. So when you're out on that board and you're in flow, how much effort are you expending? A little. 
you're actually at 100% effort to zero effort, that you can't be in flow until you are 100% committed. And then there's no effort. So let your analytical mind fuck around with that yeah, for a couple yeah. of years. Thank you for that one. <laughs> as, I, as I came out of that, the monster, if you will, the machine, a lot of the political assignments, and now we're two months past Maui, two and a half, and we have global events that have taken over the media and people have already forgotten about Maui. And so as I unpack this in a linear timeline of getting to this place, what I experienced was actually a spiritual recharge and that I had depleted my spiritual power over the course of a few weeks in trying to serve humanity. And again, as I studied the art of war and people dealing with high levels of trauma, again, I can pack my mind around it. But it was in that 30, 35 minute session where clarity was revealed to me in, in a whole other state, my own clarity, right? And, and that would not have happened. This journey would never have happened had I continued my previous purpose in teaching people functional fitness. And I don't right. think yours would have either. Correct. And so anybody who's listening right now that's in a place that, that is stuck, that is frozen, do you have a progression or a plan? Is it starting with breath? Is it coming in and taking one of your classes here? I think breath works. The first thing that I would say people do is actually one step before doing anything else. And that's defining success. What does success look like in your life that I am, I should not be amazed by this, but I still am. The number of people that I ask, what does success look like in your life? What does it look like for health? What's it look like for your relationships? What's it look like for your finances and for your wealth? And they struggle with that. They don't have a clear definition of what success, what winning looks like for them. If I ask them what their dream house looks like, man, they can rattle that off in a minute. Hey, what's your dream car? They got that at the tip of their fingers. What's it look like? Like, how do you want to feel when you get up in the morning? When you have a disagreement with your significant other or your spouse, how do you want to work that out? How do you want to settle your disagreements in your relationships in your life? How do you want to, what kind of work do you want to do? Who do you want to do it with? Would micro intentions be the preset for defining success? The, those, you can do it either way. You can have, a lot of times people start with pain points. Like, hey, I'm afraid, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, I have anxiety, I have PTSD, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overstressed. And it's, all right, let's start from that place of stress. Let's move that backwards. And what's what would be the opposite of stress? Hey, I'm calm, okay? I'm grateful that I'm calm. And that would be your first intention there. And that is actually step one of probably a seven-level progression towards awareness, is that first you have to be calm. There's more than seven, isn't there? No, there's seven for awareness. Okay. About that. Okay. Uh, but calm is the first one, that you have to be calm. You have to be peaceful. You have to be still. And that once you're calm and peaceful and still, then you can be connected and that you become connected with yourself, that your mind becomes connected to your body and both of those become connected to your emotions. And it isn't until you're connected within yourself that you can be in alignment, that if your mind and your body aren't connected, how would you even know if you're out of alignment? Mm -hmm. They're not connected. You got to get those connected to one another, then you can have alignment. With that alignment comes clarity, which is what you were talking about earlier. That's your third step. And none of those things can happen if we allow distractions to take the center piece. It, it certainly makes it more difficult 
that's why Calm's the first one. Is so that so you pornography have to be. and digital devices and chasing things that mm-hmm. have little to no meaning, superficial, that clogs the ability to become aware. Yeah, it clogs the ability. I get on social media occasionally, but it's occasional. Should you have a snack? Sure. Should you eat Butterfingers all day, every day? Hey, man, that's a bad idea. That the information that you consume is part of your diet as well. One big question here that those who are listeners and understand the power of the father and the role in the family, the Fathers of the Future movement. We have a world-renowned crucible uh, program that we've been running for about five years here in Scottsdale, and you've been a part of a little bit more than 15 crucibles since the beginning. And so the question here really is, we've introduced, you've helped me introduce breath work to some of the most manly masculine men on earth yourself and myself and included in that men practicing man shit and and working on being the king of their kingdom and and being the best that they possibly can. And so you've helped heal a lot of men, which in return helps heal a lot of families, which we know helps heal a lot of communities and generations and so on until the end of time. And I thank you for that. And, And all the men who are Crucible graduates, thank you for that. And we thank Kim for being a part of that. But what would you say to that guy who thinks that this practice, this work, this depth of consciousness is not for the man, is not for the masculine, is not for guys like you and me? Where I excel, you've talked about Kim. Kim is the light and the love, the joy. She's the happiness that that brings everybody in. And when they need a kiss on the forehead, that's what Kim's there for. I really excel at taking people into the darkness. And if... The darkness is where all of your unmanifest gifts and abilities live. That all of your success that you don't have achieved right now, it's in the darkness. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how you approach that. I think breathwork is the easiest way to, to step into that zone. But it's really, if somebody's saying, I don't want to deal with my darkness, man, you're dealing with it every day anyway. Somebody in your life is dealing with it. Either you're dealing with it and denying it, that it's there, but it's seeping through, it's seeping out, it's coming out. When you were having those struggles with your kids, that was your shadow showing up. And you can deny it all you want. Some of the very worst men I've met in my life, just despicable human beings, completely deny that they have any, they're like, I don't have a shadow. It's a terrible human being to make that claim. But that people that go into it willingly, that say there's something there that I need to face that I need to face that shadow. And that once they've faced that, then they can come back and they can be successful. They can be that king. They can be that warrior, that magician, that lover, that they can have authority. They can defend what's valuable, that they can create from nothing. And then they can connect with others in their families and their lives. Is your darkness any lighter when you go into seasons and sessions? I am very comfortable in the dark, very comfortable. Kim likes to say that I am so dark when I am in the darkness that the dark becomes lighter when I'm there, that I have my own gravity there. My darkness is not lighter, but it doesn't get to control me. Can we attain a higher level or layer of consciousness the darker we go into? So that's a tricky question. So the point of going into the darkness isn't to wallow around in the dark. It's to go in and find the treasure. To, deal, to slay the monster, to slay the dragon, to deal with the dragon, to, to face it head on, and then to come back out to the light. That we are meant to live in the light, but you need to be able to be comfortable on both sides. That, that yin and yang symbol of the, the circle with the swirl and the two dots, 
that each one has a little bit of the other. And if you're going to be a whole man, you need to be both light and dark. Your darkness needs to have light in it and your light needs to have darkness in it. And that you need to be comfortable with both aspects. But I don't think it's, as someone who's comfortable in the darkness, I don't think it's healthy or desirable to live there full time. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of toxic positivity in the healing world where people are like, oh, just light and love and, and go with the flow. Yeah. And we recently had a friend who was given a terminal cancer diagnosis. A lot of the other people in the room were very well-meaning and given that spiritual go with the flow and I'm a guru today, just go with it. And when it was finally my turn to speak, I was like, hey, you know what? Sometimes going with the flow means you're going to throw your food tray around. You're going to scream at some people and tell everybody in the room to fuck off and get out. And that's part of going with the flow too. So for sure, tell some people to fuck off because you're dying and they're not. Perspective, ultimate perspective. Correct. Yeah. So like you don't have to be in this state of enlightenment all, all the, the time, time when you're under that kind of stress. Yeah. Hey, have a moment. Yeah. For me, the more darkness I've intentionally faced or am reminded of that I have faced, the lighter I do look at life. That's a kind of a given in the process. It, it is. So using some of your darkness, using mm -hmm. some of your past traumas, using some of your stupid ass choices to then change the narrative or change the story on how you're approaching life. For what you're saying there, I think it's much easier. Like if somebody is not facing their darkness, it just turns into gray. That you don't have that clear, distinct line between this is light and this is dark. And that once you start facing that, you can have that distinction and that you can go in and out at will. Your true self, your best self, your self-loving self. Mm -hmm. And that your self-loving self has that dark side as well. That as it turns out, your gifts in life are also your shadow. The things that people love about you, the people that think are your greatest gifts and they love and the man, this is so awesome. There's about 10% of the time they're like, hey man, take about 20% off the top there, squirrely down. Like you've overdone your gift. It's now a, a burden for the rest of us. Last thing. Breaking the generational curse. I've been faced with that as part of my own healing and childhood wounds and being reminded that it's not going to be easy and facing the dark, facing the devil, facing some type of objection other than the one between my son and I. Mm -hmm. Can you help us with that? Because there are a lot of men on this who either have suffered fatherlessness or are struggling with maintaining relationships with their own kids. And again, the father-son dynamic is quite interesting as I don't have a, a backside. I don't know what that is like as a son. I only know what it's like as a father. And I feel that I was truly penetrating his existence with my own painful gap mm -hmm. from not having that. And that's where I started to grudge him a little bit. So how do us men, how do we break this curse if we have it? Do we all have it? Is there a generational curse in, in just being a man on earth? I had a really good relationship with my dad growing up. Like for sure I would have, I, I wanted to spend more time with my dad, but the relationship that we had was because we had a good relationship. And the generational curse is, I think it's a tangled web and that the things that I gave my son that my dad didn't give me, give him other shortcomings. That while we're fixing one part of the dam, the other part of it's springing a leak and that we're all doing the best that we can. And ultimately I think, my dad beat me when I was a kid, but it was usually because I was a terrible kid. I don't think I was like, oh, I deserve to get beat. It was like, eh. Yeah, I did. I was an asshole. Maybe not every time, but I also knew my dad loved me and that went a long ways. 
And I think that is, if you want to cure the generational curse to your kid, you can fuck up a lot of things, man. You can fuck up a lot of things as long as your kids know you truly love them. And that's, I think that's where that comes from is just, they have to know that you love them and that, that you have their best interests in heart, even if you're fucking up the particulars. Beautifully said. I know you and you know me. Jake Parent, how can the listeners find out more about you? This is what we call shameless self-promotion. We've uh, got a website, breath.energy. There's no.com. That's, that's the whole website. It's also the name of our uh, company. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, I believe that that's all we're doing for T the socials. Tell us about this location. We are in Tempe, Arizona at the corner of Southern and Mill. We have a studio here for breath work that we do. It is an incredible studio. As far as I know, we are the only dedicated breath work studio in the country. We have an incredible sound system here, which you will feel the music. You'll hear it as well, but it is also, it will open up your heart physically. You will transcend just from the music. So when I say we have a lot of accoutrement, this is a first class facility that we have here for doing it, that we provide everything that you need, foam mats, sheets, blankets, pillows, water, anything that you would need to have a breathwork experience. We already have it here for you. It's, it is a beautiful experience that we have multiple times per week here. You can go to our website, breath.energy, full schedules there. And we have classes online available as well. So if you're not in the Phoenix metro area, but would still like to hear this voice guiding you through breath work, we do it online as well. And if you are in person, they're right next door to Delish. Shout out to my boy, Chad Knudsen over in Maui. One of the best places that you can stop in and grab a breakfast buzz and a breakfast croissant sandwich, total grinds and local food. Jake, Thank you so much, brother. You've been a, an impact statement in my life and in my growth and in my ability to change and shed the motherfucker that I was and that the motherfucker that I am and continue to do that. And so thank you for being that in, in my life and in the life of the people that I lead. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for the invitation, man. If you got some value out of this, if you're interested in going down that rabbit hole and learning more, post a comment, give us a five-star review on Apple or send this message to somebody that you care about. Thank you for being here. Peace. Peace.